0: Hey folks, Jason Moore here. This episode is brought to you by CoreSense. CoreSense is the new heart rate variability sensor that we at Elite HRV have designed specifically to capture accurate HRV from the fingertip. So whether it's the two-minute morning baseline readings or the five-minute biofeedback breathing session at the office or at home, anywhere... The 500 Hertz multi-wavelength sensor array that's in CoreSense brings unparalleled accuracy and convenience, literally to your fingertip. It's brand new and it's only available at elitehrv.com/CoreSense. That's C-O-R-S-E-N-S-E. Now onto the show. Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. This is your host, Jason Moore. And I'm excited to welcome back to the show, Dr. Leah Lagos. Leah, welcome back.
1: Thanks, Jason. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, you know, last time when we talked, uh, you know we we had great rapport. It was a great discussion. And then we got on this morning and we were kind of talking a little bit before hitting record. And you said I have a little extra pep in my voice, and that's because I've got a little extra sleep this weekend. (laughs) So I'm fired up. I'm ready to dig into the 10-week biofeedback program uh, and really learn more about what each of these weeks means and how they relate to some of the topics that we talked about last time. Uh, So for folks that missed out, uh, if you haven't listened to the first episode with Leah, I highly recommend it. Um, and I will give a little bit of a a two-sentence background on Leah for those that haven't heard that one. Um, But Dr. Leah Lagos is a uh, doctor of clinical psychology and uh, has a background in clinical and sports psychology, but is also a board-certified biofeedback practitioner. And Leah has worked with a really wide variety of people, but she has helped professional and uh, top athletes achieve better results. She's helped people uh, manage stress and and learn to control their emotions through uh, everyday life, as well as through peak performance moments that we all have to kind of step up and perform well in life or sport or whatever it is that gets thrown at us. And that's the very abridged version of Leah's background. Um, but through all of her work over the past years, she has culminated it all into a book that's coming out called Heart, Breath, Mind, which is very exciting. Um, I've read it and I do recommend it and it's coming out very soon. But we're talking today a little bit more, we're going a little bit more specific on the 10-week program that Leah has developed over the years to help people get introduced to biofeedback and also to take that practice a little bit deeper than you find elsewhere. Um, so it's it's a, it's an introductory program. Leah, correct me if I'm wrong. It's an introductory program, but it does take people typically a little deeper than you might go with um, kind of your standard like intro to breathing uh, kind of program.
1: Yeah, this is aimed for people who want to not only optimize their baseline response, their baseline emotional responding, but to be able to navigate specific, stressful, challenging moments with precision. So I, I jokingly say to my clients, we're ready to take you from a Volvo to a Lamborghini <laughs> in terms of <laughs> the ability to navigate curves, the unexpected uncertainty, which the one thing in life I can promise to everybody is stress. So the pieces I thought that could be most interesting to talk about today, and I'm happy to talk about all of the weeks, but particularly the weeks at the last half, which are really focused on helping you and and individuals looking to improve their response to stress, their resilience, their ability to control their emotions in the moment before, during, and after the particular stressor.
0: Oh, that makes so much sense and like you said, I mean, stress is something that we've brought up many times. It's a part of life. It's uh, it's actually necessary for so much. Um but then being able to control your response to it with precision. When you say when you say precision, kind of the first thing that comes to mind is like a dartboard, right? And let's say that that, that bullseye is kind of the best outcome that you can hope for. And many of us, when we approach different, uh, especially new experiences in life, we're kind of throwing darts all over the place, sometimes Mm -hmm. missing the board completely, sometimes getting it on the edge. Sometimes we get a bullseye here and there, which is always exciting. But through specific practices, we can start to really get our precision Uh, increase our precision to where we're getting closer to that bullseye each time we approach something challenging in life. Is that kind of a nice, like, way to paint that picture?
1: Beautiful description, Jason.
0: Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) I'm trying to get on the bullseye for that uh, this morning, right? So... Well, yeah. So Leah, you first, maybe what we can do is outline this 10 week program uh, a little bit, and then we can dig in. We can spend more time for sure on that last half, because I think, like you said, that's, it's some of, some of the stuff that really helps to unpack. um, And some of the earlier weeks are a little bit more straightforward to, to kind of get into, but um, the backbone of the program is, uh, performing biofeedback practices uh, specifically at a resonance frequency twice per day for 10 weeks. And maybe first what we could do is just a quick background on resonance frequency breathing. We talked a little about that in the first uh, round together, but just in a nutshell, what is resonance frequency breathing and why should we care about it?
1: (laughs) So... I'm so grateful to Afghani and Bronya Vashilo and Paul Lear at Rutgers, who, who really have been the creators of identifying resonant frequency and its utility. And through their research, they have identified that everyone has the ability to elicit resonant frequency, a frequency in their heart that optimizes heart rate oscillations and increases heart rate variability. And I consider it a healing and peak performance frequency. When people are able to elicit resonance, it not only impacts their heart, it puts their heart into flow, but also their mind and everything along the track of the vagus nerve, all the way down to the gut. And so when you think of resonance, think of when you kind of tap a wooden desk, the sound is blunted, it ends. There's that tap and that's it. But you tap a wine glass and there's this beautiful resonating ping sound that fills the room. And that's the essence behind resonant frequency, that it doesn't just impact the heart, but organs and systems outside of just the heart um, all the way to the brain.
0: Perfect. Yeah. There's in that, like, that was a a wonderfully concise uh, description because I know resonance frequency it can be a pretty deep subject and it touches so many areas of our physiology. Um, I've learned something interesting recently that a lot of traditional um, prayers and mantras and Mm -hmm. things like that actually follow a cadence that pushes us to naturally breathe closer to a resonant frequency. And this is something that Uh, I haven't, (laughs) I haven't gone back and done every prayer and mantra to kind of double check myself, but, um, there are some theories that some of the restorative benefits of doing these prayers and mantras and traditional practices actually comes from getting closer to that resonant frequency breathing pattern.
1: Uh, Right. And the, a particular mantra uh, that uh, my clients use is Om Mani Padme Om and and um, the natural cadence has been found, it's this has been documented in, in research to increase baroreflex strength, um, which is which is helpful for helping you control heart heart rate and blood pressure. So resonance itself is eliciting a 0.1 hertz frequency in the heart that then travels through the vagus nerve uh, to the brain and the gut and other areas of the body. But when we can elicit resonance on demand. You will find a buffering of the stress response, reduced cardiovascular reactivity, and faster recovery, which can lead to performance benefits as well as cognitive ones.
0: And so that that kind of naturally leads us to into the program. Which week one is the theme is finding your resonance frequency, right? So um, what that kind of insinuates is that even though it sounds like there's uh, there's kind of some guardrails where most people kind of fit, uh, what does it mean to find your resonance frequency?
1: Everybody has a different breathing rate to elicit that 0.1 hertz resonance in your heart. It's often based on height, and, but there is no one rate that's better than another. And so that first session, and this is based on the Vashilo's and Dr. Lear's work, is to simply identify which rate for you provides the, the most optimal physiological response. And what's really interesting is there's two ways to identify your resonance. And one is the very technical and and looking at which if you breathe it, let's say six breaths per minute, 5.7 breaths per minute, 5.5 breaths per minute, and looking at your heart rate oscillations, which heart which breathing rate produces the increase in magnitude of those heart rate oscillations. The other very easy way and has over 90% concordance rate is which feels most effortless, which just feels natural. And time and time again, even in my office, when I see one rate looks like it optimizes the system, but a person identifies another rate as most comfortable, we'll start there and sometimes we'll change it in time. But you feeling comfortable with the rate you've selected is the most important piece. So what I recommend doing, and I mentioned this in the book, is breathing at specific rates for approximately two minutes each and then asking yourself which felt the least effortful.
0: Yeah, and it's really uh, nice to know that there is some intuitive feel to it because I think sometimes when people start down the path of maybe they're new to manipulating their breath or, you know, thinking about these types of uh, concepts that it can feel some somewhat foreign, despite the fact that we all breathe, hopefully fairly frequently. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's, that's kind of nice to be able to kind of feel it out at first, and then you can work towards an optimal over time, or you may already have found it when you, um, you know, achieve that good feelings. So and great. Of, I, of, sorry, go ahead. No, oh, no, no, no. I just, I, I just love this stuff. So I'm just excited to jump in. Um, keep going, please.
1: Sure. One of the things that is really important is to identify your goals for taking part in this process if, to have specific reasons you're doing this. Maybe it's to improve sleep quality. Maybe it's to decrease the onset of uh, the time it takes you to fall asleep. Maybe it's to flourish in relationships where communication can be difficult. Maybe it's to perform at your peak when making significant decisions and, and staying more objective. But And it could be several, but to outline those at the very onset of the training prior to even starting so that you can revisit these at sessions 1, 4, 7, and 10. And the piece of this, Jason, that I love about HIV biofeedback and resonant frequency is that the difference between this and let's say meditation or other breathing techniques is that this is a systematic process to develop essentially a reflex that kicks in on its own to help you moderate your stress response you'll start to feel that at week four it will be more pronounced at week seven and impact your your mind and optimized by week 10 and i've had people come from call me and, and want to come from all over the world and say, Dr. Lagos, can I work with you for 10 days straight doing this process once per day with you for 10 days? And I say, it just doesn't work like that. It's the 10 consecutive weeks, breathing two times 20 minute sessions per day and going through this process. It's that chronic stimulation of the baroreflex over the 10 week process that yields the strongest results.
0: Mm, that is, uh, that's so important to realize because... Uh, just like anyone else, I am often trying to think of how can I do this faster? Can I save time? Can I do it with less effort? But there's just some, some things (laughs) that benefit from repetition and also from uh, just doing the process that, that has been proven to elicit these results. And there's two things you said in there. Uh, One is the 20 minutes twice per day. And the other was the kind of chronic uh, adaptation that we're getting over the course of 10 weeks. And so um, those two seem to be synergistic, Mm -hmm. am I right? Is that uh, you can't do like 20 minutes every other day or five minutes twice per day and still get the same result.
1: That's right. And I'll give you a little story and I can can share the story. It's a colleague and friend of mine who came to me and said, you know, I, I have high blood pressure. I'd like to go through this process to see if I can get off medication. And she said, but I'm a very busy doctor and I can only breathe for 20 minutes once per day. And, and this was at the very inception of my career. And I said, well, let's let's see what happens. I can't promise you the same impact, but let's see what happens if perhaps we do once a day times 20 weeks, right? Because you do the calculation and and the amount of stimulation mm, is potentially the same. And after 20 weeks, we really didn't see the type of change I wanted. I said, okay, are you ready to do it my way? She said, yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) 20 minutes, twice per day, she really wanted to to find a way to lower her blood pressure. And sure enough, uh, she was able to, to regulate her her body was able to regulate her blood pressure enough internally by strengthening the autonomic nervous system that she no longer needed medication. And she wasn't doing anything else other than the biofeedback. So um, there have been so many times over the years, Jason, I've tried to test it per my client's desires and needs, but the 20 minutes twice a day really is what affords the most optimal impact.
0: And it's, it's something that it does, you know, it, and we mentioned this last time too, it sounds like a big commitment, um, but the, the impact that it can have is pretty profound and breathing is something that we all do mm-hmm. all day, every day, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that it's integrated so deeply with all of our other systems just makes it such a potent tool. And it's all, it's, I just want to highlight again, like you said, that what we're doing is um, training our bodies to develop a reflex. And you mentioned that last time too. And I remember kind of getting excited about the way that you described it, um, because it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do 20 minutes twice per day for the rest of your life and that you'll right. only be able to achieve these um states of uh that we're going to dig into during that 20 minutes the point is that we're trying to train the body to be able to uh respond this way automatically anytime that we're doing anything right that's right so Um, let's let's dig in a little bit more to some of these weeks um you know Finding your resonance frequency is week one. Week two, we are using our breath to increase energy. And we learn a little bit more about diaphragmatic breathing in week two. Uh, Maybe you could give us a little background on how week two works.
1: Sure. So week two is really important. You would think breathing is so popular. It's, It's something we do every day, but most of us are doing it wrong. And by that, I mean, we are a world of chest breathers, that whether it's one's baseline state or the place many people go to when they're stressed, breathing from the chest does not optimize and strengthen the parasympathetic nervous system. So we begin to shift to the technical term is abdominal lips breathing. My term is Buddha belly. (laughs) And where you just gently focus on the inhale, on increasing, expanding the abdomen, and it's gentle, not forced, and a gentle contraction as you exhale. And focusing on, for the last five minutes of your 20 minutes of breathing, to place your hand over your chest and the other hand over your abdomen, so you can focus your actual attention on the feeling of your abdomen expanding and contracting for five minutes. And that for the entire second week, the other piece of this is learning to use it's, it's a little bit of a mind training technique that during the day, when you find yourself having a strong reaction to an external stimuli or stimulus, bringing your focus to your breath and the feeling of the abdomen expanding and contracting and taking five to 10 breaths. So you begin it's your first introduction in week two to learning to use your breathing to break up anxious thoughts.
0: So it's particularly helpful when recording a podcast and your dog starts barking. Um, I don't know if anyone heard that. But um, but it's funny, though, because I kind of uh, learned about diaphragmatic breathing from coming at it from another angle. I used to be a fitness coach years ago and I also studied posture quite a bit because I've always been self-conscious of my posture. Um, And I found that uh, that chest breathing and shoulder breathing and things like that creates a lot of tightness in the body that can also impact your ability to move well. Um, So when you're exercising or doing other activities, Um, And it creates a lot of tension as well that, that influences the posture. And if your posture is kind of this crunched over like computer user posture that I (laughs) sometimes Mm. adopt, um, it also further makes it difficult to inhale and exhale fully and comfortably and naturally using the diaphragm. So there's a, there's a lot of kind of side benefits to this diaphragmatic breathing concept, but um, it's neat to see it come up here too uh, as part of this progression.
1: I love that point, Jason. And so for week two, as one practices that Buddha belly breathing, being cognizant of one's posture and just sitting up straight. And the other piece I would add that is really helpful for this week is focusing on the longer, slow exhale. People want to emphasize the inhale, but guess what? If you emphasize the inhale and it's deep, that you will actually start to get a headache or feel a little lightheaded that, that you're, you're breathing too deeply. So it's just a light, gentle inhale and focusing on a longer, slow exhale, akin to the pressure of blowing on just warm soup, not hot soup, warm soup.
0: I love that warm soup. Okay. <laughs> and that actually blowing on warm soup sort of leads me into week 3, which is letting go of your stress. <laughs> that just sounds very stress relieving to me.
1: <laughs> letting go is harder than it sounds. You know, we are taught from an early age to feel to to embrace for most of us and But I would argue Jason letting go is something everyone should train at and I I have a fantasy that one day we are teaching our kids how to let go physiologically at the same time we are teaching them to breathe think about that impact Mm. for a moment
0: (laughs) it's it's pretty profound and I know that even um, a lot of traditional uh, cultures and arts kind of link these things sometimes in yoga you'll see you know, inhale and then as you exhale, think about uh sending negativity out through your fingertips or your toes or things like that. Just kind of symbolic ways to think about letting go, I think, and connecting it to the breath. And that it that does. It sounds actually I just uh used over the weekend we were doing some filming for some elite HRV stuff and uh one of the actors was um, trying to demonstrate how to use things. And his uh, hand was shaking a little bit. Mm-hmm. I just said, just give it a nice long exhale. Mm-hmm. And and he did that and his hand went steady immediately. And he was like, wow, I never knew that, you know, a long exhale could help me stable my hand like that. And it was just kind of relieving a little bit of that tension, uh, letting him kind of be stable. <laughs>
1: I love that example and I've had similar experiences with surgeons shaking of hands when they're feeling anxious about a procedure or people watching and and that exhale is just so so important for increasing fine motor skill and and letting go of anxiety in week 3 one of the things i ask for people to do is to identify your day-to-day stressors. What are they? Is it driving to work? Is it time pressure? Is it specific parenting or caregiving stress, conflicts with certain people, financial stress, or or even larger themes like needing to be perfect or needing to have control? And then we talk about, instead of trying to Pretend it's not there or compartmentalize it or avoid it in some way to embrace the stress on the inhale, meaning connecting to that feeling, whether it's irritation, anxiety, anger, disappointment, and then letting it go on the exhale.
0: (sighs) (laughs) It's, uh, it's something that I, The more you get into this stuff, the more you become conscious of moments that you can apply it. And um, even during podcasts, it it, it comes back to me uh, frequently. I feel the need to get excited and jump into the next topic and be entertaining and all that stuff. Sometimes it's nice to just take a breath, let go.
1: (laughs) And for one area of optimization in the book, I suggest a power 10. And it's a tool that you can use at any given moment to modulate your arousal and bring yourself back to your baseline. So think of those words, bring yourself back. There are times, as you've mentioned, you'll get excited. It doesn't necessarily have to be a negative state either, but that ability from an elevated state, whether it's excitement or whether it's frustration and irritation, to bring yourself just gently back to your baseline and that ability to oscillate between moods and affect states more quickly.
0: And in week four, we start um, healing the broken parts, is what it's called. And this is where we start to get a little bit deeper, I think, if I'm not mistaken. How does week four uh, take these concepts and start connecting them to some of our past uh, pains or negative emotions, or even sometimes for some people the word trauma comes out, but not necessarily in the way that we all think. Um, how, does, how does week four work?
1: Week four is going a little deeper into the stressors, into the themes that I mentioned you could start to explore in week three, but really focusing on a deeper dive into chronic stressors, negative self-talk, themes like scarcity. If a client grew up in fear of not having enough love, money, or food, that particular person may internalize a sense of scarcity rather than operating from a beautiful place of abundance, perfectionism, or a need for control. And these ghost imprints live in our bodies more than our minds. And I think that is such an important piece for people to understand. I am a clinical psychologist by trade. I believe in mental work. But there are themes that are embedded in individuals' physiologies based on the kinds of challenges they grow up with. And they can be triggers that are imprinted and cause your body to react under specific circumstances in ways that no longer serve you. It can be as extreme as an immobilization response or just heightened cardiovascular reactivity. But in either way, you want to be able to control what I call your ghost imprints. So one of the strategies here I talk about is practicing letting go of deeply held triggers and beliefs, identifying some of the internal themes that run around in your circuitry and manifest in your life. And being able to work through these physiologically, dedicating the last five minutes of every breathing practice to connecting to those and letting them go. I call it catching and releasing your ghosts.
0: And you just highlighted there um, a nice little practical tip, which is that when we start getting into these deeper subjects, it's not actually adding really additional exercises to the routine. It's taking that same 20 minutes twice per day routine, and then integrating specific uh, targeted exercises towards usually the last five minutes of that, 20 minutes of each session, right? That's right.
1: And then also using these intermittently on an as-needed basis during the day. So what I talk about with my clients is, yeah, you can go through this process and use it as two bookends during your day, (laughs) 20 minutes in the beginning of the day, 20 minutes at the end of the day. But ultimately, I I want you to be navigating stress in a moment-by-moment basis using your skills. So we move from just the two bookends to integrating these different skills throughout the day. And what's interesting with ghost imprints, Jason, is that these are the themes that run around in our neural circuitry that cause responses that we would rate on a scale of one to 10 at a seven or above. If you're having a reaction to a stressor that's a seven or above, I encourage you to look at how could this relate to a deeper theme that that I experience. And and people have some really interesting aha moments when they start to even list the kinds of strong reactions they have over a week period and write those down and then seeing from that what the common theme underscoring it
0: is. Mm, you know, I I can immediately... Uh, seven or above, I, I'm I'm sure is a a rating scale that different people will be applying to different things. Uh, for me, when I see one of my loved ones, like a family member, make a decision that makes their life harder, mm-hmm. from my perspective, it's the wrong decision. I always have this kind of this surge of you know desire to go. First of all, kind of correct them and say, how could you make this silly decision? Try to try to take over and, and control their life for them. It's not really that extreme. I, I, hopefully, I'm not coming off as a, some type of control freak mm-hmm. around my family. But uh, out of a desire to help people, I also have this kind of attachment to control of situations, right? And sometimes I just have to remind myself to let people live their life. That let them make mistakes and learn for themselves, just lead by example and be supportive uh, of them uh, through challenges. And I think that that might be one of the ghost imprints for me occasionally is just letting people kind of uh, be and not having to help everyone with everything all the time.
1: Wow. Yeah. Beautiful beautiful points and so in that moment using your example what is it that you would want to embrace and connect to and then let go of that that need for you you express need for control but it almost felt like a a fear that someone's not safe and and yeah you know it's
0: intervene. I'm a very um, laid back, kind of go with the flow and wanting everybody to have a very uh, easy and happy life if possible. Uh, But obviously, like we mentioned at the beginning, stress and mistakes and things are just a part of life and we all have our own journeys to live. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, uh, in an effort to make everyone, uh, my own life and everyone around me easier and, and smoother, I want to kind of try to control every situation and, um, uh, isolate out the potential bad outcomes mm-hmm. and, uh, try to make optimal decisions at all times. Mm-hmm. And, um, obviously, you know, it's, like I said, it's not something that has driven me to the point of dysfunction, but, uh, I remind myself frequently that the there isn't. It's not necessary to optimize everything all the time. Um, Tim Ferriss has a good quote. He doesn't speed read poetry, <laughs> despite uh, being an optimizer in many other ways.
1: What I love about your example, I, I think a lot of people feel that kind of whether it's fear or anxiety when they can't control a situation and optimize it. And so this focuses on giving you control of your emotional state in those moments. And I want to distinguish because I've I've had people, peak performers like yourself, Jason, who say, but if I do that, then I might get lazy. I I might not be an optimal performer. It might just shut me down. And this does not do that. This helps give individuals the ability to choose how they want to respond so say you wanted to to feel the need to optimize and and intervene you can but if you don't want to feel discomfort and stress when when you can't then you are able to control that and so the the really important piece here is to understand this isn't just a process of relaxation that would dull someone's motivation or ability to perform at their peak in any way and turn it on and, and increase or amplify or act aggressively. It, it gives you the ability to choose as opposed for that response to be automatic.
0: And, and the ability to choose makes those times when you do turn your performance systems on so much more powerful because... If you're constantly on, then you're going to be spread thin and giving less to everything that the things that matter most will get less um, because you're spreading it yourself out almost equally to all priorities. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that kind of leads us into week five, which is that in certain times we do need to perform and we ne- do need to overcome challenges and kind of rise to the occasion optimize, if you will. So week five is preparing for challenge. And um, maybe you could walk us through how that kind of changes the tune of this conversation a little bit.
1: Sure. So if you were a dancer, a swimmer, a sprinter, Jason, you would train specific muscles to activate automatically during a race or routine. And your heart is a muscle. We can train it with enough practice, we can train it in advance how we want it to respond in the performance moment. So I developed the heart-shifting technique using feedback from clients who were stressed about major upcoming performance events. They needed something that was strong enough, useful, potent enough to help them navigate their emotions in the moment um, and, and also to prepare for the anxiety that goes along with the upcoming performance The anticipated event. So, this training technique involves 15 consecutive breaths taken at your resonant frequency, which means using your pacer. And the breaths are performed in three sets of five breaths each. And your heart doesn't speak languages Yiddish, Spanish, Italian, French. It speaks heart rhythms. So, what you're essentially doing is you're shifting your heart from a negative state to The ideal performance state and the process is this. The first five breaths are clearing the heart. They're designed to help your autonomic nervous system release negative emotion. You feel the negative state, whether it's intrepidation, fear, anxiety. You connect to it on the inhale and you let it go on the exhale. The second five breaths is clearing the mind, employing mindfulness, just focusing on the crisp, fresh air through the nose and the feeling of the air leaving the mouth to calm your mind. And the third five breaths is boosting or shifting the heart, connecting to your ideal performance state on the inhale and letting go on the exhale for the last five breaths. And what's amazing is that I've seen over and over clients using this system to prepare in advance for challenge, whether it's someone with a phobia of flying or someone preparing for the Olympic games, they've used these techniques to help them reduce anticipatory anxiety and also... To give their heart a sense of how they want to respond during the, the performance moment. So, some prime opportunities for heart shifting could be delivering a major presentation, speaking with a loved one, facing a phobia, or performing at your peak under challenge.
0: Hmm. And this is what really kind of um, takes the program from being, you know, I don't wanna say just. But not just a kind of recovery or um, return to normal type uh, program, but it's it's integrating from end to end the ability to recover from stress or trauma or, or pain or anything that might be kind of knocking us down from time to time, and then also all the way to the the perspective of uh, moving forward and achieving our goals and making progress and you can almost link this part back to the very beginning where you said, what are the goals that you have uh, for this program? And for just in general, it's good to occasionally think about where you're going.
1: I love that. And there were a few other pieces for this week that can be really helpful, which is adding layers to shift your physiology. So along with the heart shift, Sometimes people need additional things to shift quickly. So sometimes you'll have to do three hard shifts <laughs> um, to, to get to the state that you'd like. But in time, you'll, you'll do it in 15 breaths, then, then closer to even two, two and two or one, one and one. Um, but I, I have had clients amplify the effectiveness or how quickly they can get into their ideal state by using music or, or um, sense or other sensory experiences that also help shift them into a parasympathetic state faster. So those are kind of fun to experiment with. And the other piece I wanted to mention is that when one is connecting to what I say the negative state, that feeling of anxiety. This is not a cognitive exercise, thinking about the anxiety, what it was. It's really bringing up physiologically how you experience the anxiety or the negative emotion in the moment, almost recreating or, or just feeling it in your heart. It's there. (laughs) And when I say recreating, it's, it's more connecting to that emotion because it's always there. It hasn't gone away. It's, it's just really getting somatically attuned to it.
0: Mm, and, and I think that that's a really important distinction. I know it is for me personally, just because I don't know if it's related to trying to be a peak performer uh, or an optimizer, but in many cases, I kind of naturally tend to suppress mm. um, how I feel towards any challenges or negative uh, situations and sometimes it seems like it's it's helpful to do that in the moment to get through something. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I have found that over the long term, it does really help to embrace the way that I feel about different situations and not just kind of bury it. Um, and this seems like a great way to practice kind of uncovering that and embracing it uh, without in, in, in a controlled way, almost, right, without
1: it overwhelming your body. And what's so interesting is I've seen clients as they increase the ability to let go, then they increase the ability to feel. They they don't compartmentalize as much, or um, it's it's living life almost more abundantly because you feel that you can let go. You can also. It's not that you don't care, but you 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 care at your peak you you are able to really embrace passion and and lots of kind of vivid emotions that um, can be pleasurable as well. So it's really interesting to see this emotional range kind of widen.
0: Mm, I love that. It just sparks like visualizations for me of having just a more vivid and colorful life. Oh, I love that Jason.
1: Yes, that's exactly exactly what I've seen through over 10 years of, of doing this.
0: And then in, into week six, we start uh, with mastering the emotional pivot. Mm-hmm. And to me, that seems like uh, kind of coming back to that ability to be flexible and move in the direction that you need to move in a little bit more rapidly.
1: That's right. The, the idea is cultivating physiological resilience. And by that, I mean, being able to return your heart rate faster to baseline. And, and, but there's a psychological piece to this too. When we're able to draw upon experiences that have been positive for us in our bodies, we can use that with our breath to more quickly return to baseline and generate not only a a recovery of the heart rhythms, but an improvement in your mood. So the idea here is to be playful and identify three experiences in your life where you felt inspiration, awe, gratitude, happiness, joy. Common ones I hear are the day that a parent first held their newborn, graduation, wedding day, being hired for a a much-coveted job position. But picking these moments, three of them in your life, and writing them down and calling these your heart imprints. These are moments where you felt just natural, powerful, positive emotions that you can learn to increase accessibility to and draw upon in time. So the first step is being able to draw upon these emotions in a neutral situation using your breathing as well and focusing let's Jason, can you give me a, a time in your life? You just felt an enormous amount of awe or inspiration or gratitude.
0: Um, I have too many of those now that I have a 14 month old baby. (laughs) It is, it is true though. It's, um, it's there. I think actually, um, you may be able to relate to this. It was the first time that I, my baby smiled intentionally at me. Wow. And part and of that you, is, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: What did your heart feel? when you saw that smile just peek out at you for the first time.
0: It's just, it, it feels like your heart is beating abnormally hard um, <laughs> and not necessarily faster, Um, and not like you're exercising, right. Just, uh, just so much more aware of, of the strength of the beat. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing because, uh, it's one of those moments that doesn't feel rational. It's hard to describe just using logical language. Um, but it's a very warm feeling for sure.
1: So uh, this feeling of your heart just being full and exploding with joy and love, and all at this little being that you and your wife created, and so, so those are some of the imprints that that you would connect to on the inhale and letting go of anything negative on the exhale. And the first practice is doing this with your with your breathing, but in a neutral situation, like standing in the line of the grocery, <laughs> or or maybe you're on since since times have changed <laughs> in terms of grocery yeah. maybe you're on the phone <laughs> on hold <laughs> and and waiting to place an order and seeing you know you're in a neutral state not really irritated just waiting if you're able to access that actual emotional state that you just described while on the phone using your breath and pairing that heart imprint. And then the next step is to be able to use your heart rhythms to get unstuck. So I had an athlete who who was shaking during her professional dance routine, and, and she was an acclaimed dancer, had been on the stage for many years. And being able to access her childhood self, the simplicity of the passion she had for her sport and the love she had for her sport in that moment was enough to help her stop the shaking. And, and in that case, just the breathing with the inhale and exhale wasn't enough, but being able to add this kind of heart imprint helped her master the pivot from a negative to a positive state.
0: Mm. Mm, Yeah. Well, that's, Now I'm going to be connecting uh, my baby smile to uh, so many
1: things. (laughs) What's really fun. And and I do this with my clients is I encourage them, challenge them to perform mini heart pivots throughout their day as a way to cope with stress. And these are done in addition to their 20 minutes of resonant frequency breathing, taking five pivots during moments of stress. It could be, you know, different ways to do it you could just say i want to do this three times a day and program it into your phone as a reminder it's time to practice your emotional pivoting and in these moments practicing three different heart imprints if we go to the same imprint over and over and over it does it, it does become less effective but when we have three to toggle in between it can be really wonderful and helping to enhance your ability to flexibly let go of the negative and embrace the positive
0: and I love that the integration aspect of this is built into the program mm-hmm. because uh I've been a student of stress and stress management and uh breathing and things for a number of years now, and um also being in the h r v world uh, as you've kind of mentioned already throughout that uh these practices tie so deeply in with the vagus nerve and the barrow reflex and uh, you know, respiratory, cardiovascular, nervous systems, uh, is that people like to say, okay, well, I've, I've done my five minutes of breathing usually, or in this case, my 20 minutes twice per day, I've kind of checked that box. And, um, now I'm just going to go back to, you know, just doing life. Um, and then people always ask, okay, well, if I'm using HRV as a biofeedback tool. And I'm seeing my HRV change when I perform, you know, a biofeedback exercise, or I do resonant frequency breathing. You can see it, you can see your HRV changing in real time as a feedback tool. But what, and then they say, okay, well, is that going to make my HRV better all the time? And I say, well, there's conflicting evidence about that. But what one thing that we have seen is that people who start to integrate these practices into the rest of their life usually see the biggest increase in chronic HRV or longer-term HRV patterns. And that I believe, you know, the hypothesis, and there's probably a lot of different individuality to this and further research to be done, but it's when you're integrating it into the rest of your life, that's when you're actually creating the, the lasting change when you're starting to embed habits that give you a more chronic and automatic stress response. Um, and so anyways, I just wanted to highlight that the integration piece is so important in my experience.
1: Take this from just a general baseline optimization of a system to being able to precisely navigate specific moments. And I find with clients that are able to integrate this into how they live their lives on a daily basis, they come back and they say, this has been a life-changing process for me. And and it's, it's truly that integration. So just doing the general HIV is beautiful. It optimizes your baseline. But bringing this into specific moments further engages the autonomic nervous system in being able to flexibly respond in the specific moment.
0: hmm And then, so then we move into week seven, which is cult cultivating resonance under fire. It's time to up your game. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. I want stressors. (laughs) And I want you to be able to navigate them. And, and sometimes we're able to do that through imaginal exposure. And it's really interesting to see what happens to someone's heart rhythms when they're just imagining stress, because it does change how their, how their heart beats. And, And then when they put themselves into resonance, as well as into in vivo exposure, the actual stress moment. And, and what I teach people is no one cares if they see you breathe. (laughs) There's, there's no, there's no pointing fingers. Everyone's doing it. And if you look carefully, you're going to find a lot more people doing this than you had realized before. But everything I have developed Jason I've experienced and done myself for many many years so the in vivo exposure part is really important in in terms of being able to put yourself in a stress stressful situation a known stressor and being able to navigate that stressor by controlling your heart rhythms and so there's some fun ways to do this above and beyond focusing on those heart imprints and and being able to emotionally pivot but I'd I encourage people to do things like if they have a Fitbit on their arm to look at their heart rate and try and bring it down five beats <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, during that actual stressor. So I did this on the subways of New York um, to to practice in vivo exposure. First, what I did is I, I would sit somewhere on the train where someone – was being loud. It could be kids. It could be people talking. And for me, that's a little dysregulating the noise in a small confined area. Mm -hmm. And, and then I would practice my resonant breathing. Could I access my heart imprints and have it shift my mood during that stressful moment? I especially used it when there would be people, sometimes you have preachers on trains and they stand right next to you (laughs) and you can't move and you're kind of stuck. And, and, and being able to practice bringing my heart rate even just down five beats during that by accessing the heart imprint and my resonant frequency breathing. So I encourage people to take this a step further and lean into their stress and find ways to be playful when stress comes up, mm. as, as such as in vivo exposure exercises, using your resonant frequency breathing, your heart imprint, and decelerating your heart rate.
0: That's huge, and I think in today's you know situation with everything going on in the world, there's plenty of practice opportunities for everyone um you know unfortunately yeah. uh, but that that is it does sound very powerful to uh to start integrating it into those moments, and that that almost is i guess' <laughs> I, I, maybe this is intentional. Uh, That leads us nicely into week eight, which is imprinting the physiology of success. And success is a word that we can give our own meaning to in different ways. But usually success stems from doing something difficult um, and kind of bringing stress upon yourself by trying to achieve something hard or overcome some challenge in your life. Um, and so, uh, but this kind of, uh, maybe you could take us through week eight.
1: Sure. So in week eight, I, I call it imprinting the physiology of success. and I talk about visualizing with your heart. I am a big proponent of visualization, but the mental visualization is only part of it. Visualizing with your heart and bringing that future self into the present is key to avoid the immobilization that often occurs during times of stress. It's the heart-centered version of mind over matter. And so during week eight, I talk about a series of unique visualization exercises on how you envision yourself feeling, what you're experiencing after you've conquered a specific goal. So for instance, I will have clients talk about Preparing for a meeting, it's a really important meeting, wanting to make a good impression, speak eloquently, say smart things. And they get so fixated in the moment on, on that need to be perfect, on that need to say exactly the right words at the right time. It locks them up. So we talk about visualizing what they will experience after they've delivered this eloquent and impactful talk and they'll say things well i'll feel energetic enthusiastic a sense of relief accomplishment and i'll say let's bring that future self into the now and so we practice pairing that inhale with that future heart self and letting go of any anxiety in the moment
0: Hmm. yep and then you know it's it the the root, I would say, of a lot of stress and success and all of the things that we've been talking about so far stems heavily from our relationships with others. And so that to me is kind of the natural stepping stone into week nine. Um, So much of what we try to do in life depends upon and influences other people. And so in week nine, we say using your heart rhythms to strengthen your relationships. And why, why, do we bring, why are we bringing relationships into this? Is this, uh, am I hitting on there? Um, you know, what are, how do we start integrating this practice with others?
1: Yeah. So strengthening relationships, I believe, is an important, if not critical, part of peak performance. We don't perform at our peak generally on our own. It's it's through our relationships. It's our feelings of being connected and feeling safe. Dr. Stephen Porges is a psychophysiologist behind the polyvagal theory, and he has said that when we're in a relationship with another person, we have the responsibility to keep our autonomic nervous system out of a state of defense. He says only then can we provide our partners, friends, and family with the sense of safety they require and deserve, and then – Dr. Gottman, who is considered a love psychologist, takes it a step further. And he says, well, actually it it is our duty as a spouse or as a partner to put the other person into a parasympathetic state. So not just only controlling our own nervous system, but to keep someone else in a parasympathetic state. And there are a few ways you can do this above and beyond breathing, which are really important to think about, but again, require someone to have really strong control over their nervous system. So that in moments of communication with a spouse or a partner, you can engage in pro social behaviors like looking into their eyes, speaking in a tone that's calming, respecting the power of your voice, and using the power of touch. The one that is kind of interesting that I mentioned in the book is sending calming images. Everyone's on text these days having significant discussions. And one real quick way to incite feelings of joy, awe, and contentedness and reduce feelings of anger and stress are to see beautiful images of nature or animals. <laughs> well, that's something to pocket. Try sending a loved one a photo you think he or she would relate to, a stunning waterfall, a green mountain landscape acute sloth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also talk about optimization strategies to shift children into parasympathetic dominance and how really important it is for us as parents to speak and relate and communicate in ways that help our children stay in a, in a calm parasympathetically dominant state and and one of the key ways to do this is your voice and eye contact and touch much, much like the partner.
0: It's, uh, it's pretty amazing to kind of think about that more deeply. We've often been told, can I do unto others as you'd like them to do unto you and, uh, you know, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. And we also, uh, many of us know that, you know, if you get, anxious or excited and you uh, get defensive, that that's just also going to cause others around you to do the same thing. But tying it into the physiology like this is fairly unique, I would say. I haven't heard too many uh, people talk about giving the gift of parasympathetic activation for <laughs> per se. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, uh, It's an amazing way to think about it because we all do spend such an uh, abnormal amount of time in a fight or flight state for what we're, what our physiology is designed for. Um, and I've talked about this many times about how fight or fight is great for acute situations, but needs to be turned off most of the time. Um, and being able to influence the state of those around us is something that I hadn't connected, even though as soon as you say it, it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, yeah, I'm going to start telling people that. Just give the gift of parasympathetic activation.
1: <laughs> Here's my gift unto you.
0: <laughs> exactly. And and uh, baby goats. Uh, it doesn't matter how tough you are or uh, baby goats make everybody smile, I think. so. <laughs> <laughs> or monkeys, uh, Mon- monkeys. Monkeys. Okay, yeah. well, I'll try that one too. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's so important, you know, to have different ways, not just to navigate stress within us, but through other people, helping others navigate stressful moments as well, through not just our own energy, but how we interact with them. And it's one of the ways that in week 10, I talk about being able to control how much stress you absorb of other people's emotions, whether it's boundary crossers that are wanting so much from you or people that are just very focused on themselves or just people that are very needy and you want to be there, um, but you can't hold their emotional distress for the rest of the day inside of you. And so I introduced something I call the bubble and this is a technique that's helped many of my clients become more resilient in the face of potential triggers. And it's a form of visualization designed to help them amplify their internal state of flow and hold on to that resonance. So there are breathing exercises that I have them do. I have them take a few three to five resonant frequency breaths, and then just focusing on a bubble, starting at their right ankle, slowly moving up their right leg to the knee and the hip, then the right side of the, their torso, and this bubble is soft, it's reassuring, it's safe, and it extends over to the left side of the body, starting at the ear, to the shoulder, to the hip, and to the ankle, and just imagining what it feels like to be in this light blanket, gently covering your entire body, the safety, the feeling of flow that's effortless, and then going to their heart, and with the bubble surrounding their body, focusing on that feeling of love, love and safety as they inhale and exhale. And what's really interesting is if I have a client doing this, Jason, in my office with their electrodes attached to them, you start to see they go into resonance, even if they're not breathing at resonance. Interesting, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Then the third step is as you inhale, focus on anything negative in your body, tension, stress, frustration, anxiety, And push that negativity outside of your body, expanding outside of your actual physical body to the very edges of your bubble, letting it float into the atmosphere. And then I have them do this twice and recenter on that feeling of safety and love in the heart. And it's so fascinating how really effective visualization with what I call resonance-producing emotions, safety and love, can also elicit resonance. So these are... Uh, a, a different strategy or or set of principles, but incorporate the resonant frequency breathing to help someone let go of that negative energy that, that we sometimes absorb and or drains us.
0: And right now it just strikes me that there's, this is such a, a important time for people to, Anchor themselves, which is the key word uh, uh, in the leading into week 10, in resonance, anchoring yourself in resonance. And just given the state of things in the world today and all of the tension around pandemics and, you know, racial and political issues and um, social isolation, all of these things that are really um, creating a lot of trouble in the world, um, that anchoring oneself in resonance and, uh, being able to practice this bubble technique, for example, might be extremely beneficial more so than ever, uh, right now, basically. And so the, the practicing the bubble, is that a part of week 10 or is that part of, um, just kind of, uh, one of the exercises to incorporate.
1: That is part of week 10 and, and one of the ways to self-regulate one's own energy.
0: That's great. And then the anchoring piece is a nice way to kind of bookend the program there um, because once you cultivate uh, (laughs) this, I I just love the keywords if I just kind (laughs) of scroll down throughout them. Hmm. Um, Healing, preparing, mastering, cultivating, imprinting, and anchoring such powerful words uh, to kind of carry you through those 10 weeks.
1: Thank you. And my hope is that with these different set of skills that that combine self-regulation strategies, optimization of HRV, gaining control over the autonomic nervous system, we can be in a community, a world of, of less automatic responses <laughs> and more selected ones that are chosen for optimization and having control over our heart allows us to have control over our performance. I say so often to my clients, a change of heart is a change of everything.
0: <laughs> Let your heart guide you. <laughs> it's, um, I do love that, though. It's you know, as we kind of conclude here, this ten week uh, overview. There's there's a lot of depth about the program in your book, and of course, in our app, we've made a nice little kind of companion checklist to go with the book and and with this podcast audio. And uh, but it, I just want to reiterate again, just how important it is to to realize that this is about training yourself to be able to respond to all of these situations uh, as they are integrated into your life day to day, week to week, you know, Uh, it's not just about what's going on during the actual exercise, right? It's that's uh, a pretty powerful takeaway for me. But, uh, and uh, I do like that also, uh, Completing this 10 weeks is is an achievement in and of itself. I feel like it's something to uh, almost try to visualize and say, okay, well, we've heard Leah describe some pretty powerful moments um, and some people may be thinking that that doesn't sound like something they would be able to achieve or maybe it's uh, too good to be true or anything like that. But what I like to say is that something like this, if is such a low risk, uh, exercise, such a low risk, uh, journey to embark on. Um, and the rewards are potentially so high that it's, it would not make sense for anyone to just dismiss this and not try it. And, uh, it's something that if you can visualize what this might look like 10 weeks from now, if you're going to be starting this journey, that may be helpful and motivating to jump in and give it a try. but highly recommended. <laughs>
1: Thanks Jason.
0: And Leah, um, you know thank you for spending your time with us and sharing this additional knowledge. This is kind of a little bit of behind the scenes of you know hearing your voice of how you speak about these things uh, in addition to what's in the book and in the app. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing that with us today.
1: Thank you. I've enjoyed talking with you, Jason. And I'm excited for anyone listening to experience the effects of this process. It It is truly a life-changing process for many of my clients, and I hope it is for you too.
0: Perfect. And uh, keep an eye out for the book too, which is coming out Heart, Breath, Mind by Dr. Leah Lagos. it's an exciting release. And uh, with that, we'll conclude and wish everybody an a well and parasympathetic day ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll end there and we'll see you next time.